Mark chapter 3, we pick it up in verse 1 today. It says, And Jesus entered again into a synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they were watching Jesus to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath in order that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Rise and come forward. And Jesus said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? But they kept silent. And after looking around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, Jesus said to the man, Stretch forth your hand. And he stretched it out, and it was restored. And the Pharisees went out and immediately began taking counsel with the Herodians against him as to how they might destroy him. Father, this morning in your word, we simply ask that you would minister to us in the deep recesses of our heart, that you would reach down by your spirit working through your word and do a work there. That you would maybe expose areas where we have been reluctant to walk in obedience. Areas that have been harmful to us in our relationship with you that we've been holding back from you. And this morning you would expose them. You would lovingly by your loving kindness draw us to surrender those things unto you. And say, Lord, have the fullness of my heart. That we would stretch out our hands and say, Lord, heal me. Do a work in my life. Lord, we know that you desire obedience over sacrifice. And so this morning, through your word, cause us to be an obedient people. A people that would be useful for your glory, for your kingdom, for your honor, and for your praise. And author my thoughts and my words. We want to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. I said, amen. Okay, man, there's like a funky, it's Christmas time, man. You guys are like you're asleep today. When a brother says, amen, I don't want to hear one little girl, amen. (laughs) Come on, church. We're a congregation. We're the people of God. When we pray that God would do a work in our hearts, and then the man at the end of the prayer says, so be it. You need to say, so be it. Amen. Amen. Gee, Whizzler. Okay. Now, Jesus goes into a synagogue once again, no doubt, on the Sabbath. And as he goes into the synagogue this time, he encounters this man with a withered hand. We're not told how it became withered, how long it has been withered, but by the very nature of the language there, we can assume that maybe it's been a deformity that he's had his whole life, that his hand is withered up against him. Obviously in need here, a profound handicap. You remember that the last time Jesus entered into a synagogue in our book of Mark, he was there and he encountered the demon-possessed man. Every time that we see Jesus entering into the synagogue, we see him coming face to face with the needs of the people. We see that in the house of worship, in the house of instruction, in the house of God, there were some messed up people, people who were demon-possessed, demon-oppressed, who were physically hurting, spiritually hurting, uh, emotionally hurting. And so it is in the church today. We come into the church and we need to realize that it is, in the very real sense, a hospital. We come in here and there are the sick, the physically sick. There are the hurting, the emotionally hurting. There are the ill, the spiritually ill. And when we come into the house of God, we ought to expect to find these people here. I get so um, upset when I hear people talk about church and they say, I don't want to go there, it's a bunch of hypocrites there. Listen, 
We're not hypocrites. A hypocrite is someone who pretends to be something that they're not. It's a word for an actor. We're not acting. We understand that we are jacked up. We understand that we are messed up, that we are desperately wicked and full of deceit. We ain't playing no games. We need to be real and understand that we are wretched sinners saved by the grace of God, that in here it is an emergency room type of situation. Last night, my son developed a fever. And my wife and I and some other members of our family were at home. Trisha was there. And, and uh, we took his temperature and it was 105.3 in the evening. And my little son, he just turned three. He was just shaking and convulsing. And his chest, his, his heart was just pounding out of his chest. And he was disoriented. And he wasn't responding. He didn't recognize his mom. And so we got very afraid. And we called a friend of ours who's a doctor. And he said, get him to the emergency room right away. So we rushed him to cottage and we took him in the emergency room. And immediately when you step into the emergency room, you are on edge, you are uncomfortable. Because in the emergency room, there is a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, a lot of hurting people. There's a man in there who was suicidal who had to be guarded by two guards. There's a guy in there who had his face bashed in surfing Rincon that day. There was my son with a temperature. There are two other kids with high temperatures. There was a lady with her foot all jacked up. There was a guy whose arm was broken right here and dangling from him, and he had been waiting hours and hours. We had to wait three and a half hours in this place. And as you're in there waiting for care, you realize, man, people are hurting. People have got real problems. And you feel so helpless so lacking, so unable. And so we're just in there just kind of praying, you know, and we're praying for Isaiah, very afraid for him, my son, and praying for others. And I just realized that it is such a profound and true and real picture of the church. And friends, we've got to become real about that. We've got to be able to come in here and confess our sins to one another and pray for one another that we might be healed. We've got to come in realizing our weaknesses, entering in in the time of need that we may receive help. And at the same time, when you go into an emergency room, you also see people walking out who have been fixed, you know. They're walking out and they have their bandages and we left with my son and his fever was coming down and people are feeling better and they're going away and then there's the people that are there working and they're feeling just fine and so on and so forth. So you have this dichotomy of the people coming in all messed up and the people going out all fixed up. And so is the church. We come in all messed up, but we ought to engage with the great physician, Jesus Christ, realizing that he is here knowing that we're messed up. The physician does not flee from the emergency room. The doctors don't walk into the waiting room and go, oh no, sick people, I'm out of here. No way. They engage. That's what they're there to do. And Jesus said in our text a couple weeks ago in chapter 2, verse 17, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but to call sinners. So when we come into the church and we look around, living in a small town, we all know each other's stories. We all hear the gossip. We all know the downfalls and the junk. Okay, so quit slandering, quit gossiping, quit pointing fingers, and let's start caring for one another. It's very hard. It takes a humility and it takes an investment. I'm humbled by it every day, the opportunities that are put before us. Families that are broken or breaking up. Marriages that are on shaky ground. 
kids that are, be, there's just all sorts of stuff. Friends, we've got to be willing in this context to invest ourselves in the lives of others. That is why Jesus was in the synagogue. He wasn't here teaching this day. He was there to heal a man who had a very real problem. And Jesus is a very real solution. So let's understand, yes, hooray and hurrah, some people get right, some people get healed, some people uh, are growing in this process of sanctification, and so it ought to be. There ought to be a sense of holiness and a sense of brokenness in the church. Amen? Amen. But not lukewarmness, not apathy. May it never be. Friends, if we come in on Sunday mornings with just an apathetic heart, you know immediately you are disconnected from the Spirit of God, and you need to reconnect. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so if we're feeling disconnected, we have hung up the line. It's an amazing thing. Pick up the line and he's still there. Oh, my brother-in-law. I don't know if he's here today. He's married to my sister. His name is Johnny Johnston. Uh, A couple weeks ago, he lives in LA with my sister. Obviously, they're married. He got in a car accident. Funny story. Listen, so he's talking to his mom on the cell phone. And he stopped at a stoplight and he gets hit from behind by a lady going 30 miles an hour. Bam! Like that. And obviously he just like drops the phone and the phone is on the ground and oh, oh no. And he's getting himself all situated and checking his neck and, and looking all around. What do I do? And he's grabbing his insurance and all the papers and all the stuff and minutes go by. And he goes, oh, my mom was on the phone. And he picks up the phone and she's still there. And so anyway, like I was saying, la 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 She was still just talking. She didn't have an idea what happened. Johnny got hit by a car. There was a bump in the road. It got a little messy. But when he picked up the phone, his mother was there. Listen to me. There's bumps in the road during the week. It gets a little messy. But when you pick up the phone, Jesus Christ is still there. And so come in connected. I encourage you guys, because we are part of this congregation together and we affect one another. I encourage you to come to church a little bit early to sit down in the pew and prepare your heart. You know, I know what it is. I know what it's like. I have a three-year-old. My wife is pregnant. I know what it's like to get up in the morning and she's having a bad hair day and I can't shave and Isaiah's doing this and the kids are sick and so I know what it's like. I understand. Sometimes it's hard to get here. But if you can, I challenge you to come a few minutes early. Just sit down and begin to pray. God, I'm coming into your house. I want to come in reverently because God, you are here. And you are here with the intent of doing business. When Jesus saw the man with the withered hand, he was intent on doing business. When Jesus encountered the man who was demon-possessed in the synagogue in chapter 1, he was intent on doing business. Come intent on doing business with God. And come intent on providing care for those who need care. James wrote in his epistle in chapter 1, verse 27, This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God, that we visit widows and orphans in their distress and keep ourselves unstained from the world. In other words, this is the real deal before God. This is what Christianity ought to be, that we minister to those who are in need. In that culture, in that day, if you were a widow or an orphan, you were very needy. Everything was very family-oriented. And so if you lost your husband or your dad or someone in your family, you had no one to care for you. And the church took on that burden. The early church knew, because of the example of Jesus Christ, that they were supposed to be the delivery vehicle for care in the world. Now, church, we ought to be ashamed because secular organizations and false religions on many fronts have outdone us in this task. 
Church, I'm ashamed. Do you know that Coca-Cola is everywhere in the world? Every little nook and... I have been in the most God-forsaken, weird little places and seen Coca-Cola stores, whole stores. Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola finds a way to get everywhere in the world and get everybody caffeinated and sugared up and rot out all their teeth and all their guts. And the church is yet to go there and care for the needs. How are we going to be outdone by Coca-Cola when we got the Holy Spirit? This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God, that we visit widows and orphans in their distress. The early church was occupied with this. Turn now to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. We have a picture here in Acts chapter 6 of, of a growing church, a quickly growing church. You'll remember that Peter preached a sermon and several thousand were saved and he preached another one and several more thousand were saved. We think we've experienced a little bit of growth here. Nothing, zero zip, nothing. They had 8,000 people to deal with a few days after Pentecost. And now look what happens in the growing church in Acts chapter 6. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. Hellenistic Jews were those Jews who took on the language of the Greeks and to some extent the culture and um, just you know vibe and cultural norm and just the stuff of the Greeks. They very much took on a Greek culture. And the Hebrews, as name here, those who, who maintain more of a Jewish, Hebraic identity. And so there arose this division. The um, Hellenistic Jews felt overlooked. They felt discriminated against. And it became this big situation in the feeding of the widows, which they did daily. They daily provided for those who were in need. So, verse 2. The twelve, the twelve disciples, summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. In other words, Peter, James, John, Matthew, all these guys were spending all their times meeting the needs of the people. Those who came in hungry, they were serving them. Those who came in sick, they were ministering to them, spending all their times meeting these practical needs, which is wonderful, but it got overwhelming. And they said, wait a minute, we've got to remember the words of Jesus and the word of God, and we've got to begin to instruct this growing church in that. And so they say in verse 3, Select from among you, the congregation, brethren, seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, who we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and that guy, and that guy, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. Look at the importance that the early church gave to meeting the needs of those who were in need around them. It was not a low place of ministry. It wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't just like a side note. It was so important that the disciples themselves, the twelve, were fully engaged in it, When they figured out it was too much for them to handle, they chose just some average chumps out of the church and said, ah, you take care of it. 
It's not what happened, is it? They chose men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, and full of wisdom. Men like Stephen. Look what it says about Stephen in verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. This was no pew potato. This was a real deal. Stephen, he'd be there serving tables. Here comes the widows and the orphans and the people in distress. And he'd say, oh man, can we have some more chicken? And oh man, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a new covenant. Let's have some bacon over here. Let's serve these Jews some bacon and let's get some ham over here and let's get some pork sausage over here and let's get some milk over here and mix it all up with the meat and the cheese. And you know, it's a new church. Hey, man, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. They're eating bacon. And so he's serving tables And as he's serving tables, he's also ministering in the Holy Spirit. Great signs and wonders were coming forth from this man. You know why? Because he simply stepped out in faith and said, Lord, use me how you want to use me. I see needs in the church. Lord, use me to meet them. The moment you step out in that way, God will empower you with power from on high. The power of his Holy Spirit. The moment you step out seeing a need and seek to meet it, God will be sure that you have all that you need to meet that need by the power of the Holy Spirit working in you. The Bible declares in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and in chapter 14 and in Romans chapter 12 and Ephesians chapter 4 that God has given gifts to those who are His, the people in the church. Amazing gifts. The Bible declares that there will be some in this congregation who will be able to work miracles. God will work them through you. The power of his Holy Spirit, not you per se, but him working through you. You being the vessel, you being the tool. The Bible declares that there are gifts of healings, that some of you have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to lay hands on people, to pray for them, and to see them physically healed. God will give some of you words of wisdom for instances in the church life where we're just going, what do we do? How how do we deal with the situation? And the Holy Spirit will speak through you wisdom for the situation. God has supernaturally empowered some of you with the gift of service. That is to say, you come in and you say, what needs to be done? And you are supernaturally empowered to see it and to meet it. God has empowered some of you with the gift of exhortation. You have a gift from God on high to build people up in a way that nobody else does. God will give you the right words to speak at the right time, the right way to approach them, the right scriptures to share in their life, that they are exhorted and encouraged and build up. Some of you have a supernatural gift to do that. Some of you have the gift of giving. Others have the gift of mercy. You see someone in need and you, like Jesus, are moved with compassion. Not saying, oh, isn't that rough, isn't that bad, but moved with compassion. The Bible declares that each one has been given a special gift. Every Christian in here has at least one spiritual special gift. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. This is exciting, church. That's what we get, huh? This is exciting, church. Okay. Man. 1 Peter, chapter 4, verse 10, a foundational verse for biblical Christianity. 
Each one has a special gift. Use it, therefore, in the serving of one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Listen to what we just learned. Every single one of us has a special gift. At least one, I would venture to say most Christians, if not all, have multiple spiritual gifts. Each one has a special gift. The command of the Bible here is to use it, therefore. You see, many people have gifts and they just never use them. Because we, like the rest of humanity, are so self-centered. I'm just like you. It's very easy for me to become self-centered and self-focused and begin to think about my needs and I need thus and I need so. That's why marriages fail. People are all consumed in their needs. Here's what I need from you rather than saying, what can I give to you? That's the biblical concept of marriage, Judd and Kelly. That you would come and say, how can I meet your needs? How can I consider you as more important than myself? And that's what we are to do in this covenantal relationship, the church. We're to come in and say, it's not about my needs. It's about the needs of others. How can I serve you? How can I minister to you? Each one has been given a special gift. Use it, therefore, in the serving of one another. Now, there is a clue in that as to how to discover your spiritual gifts. Use it, therefore, in the serving of one another. We often say, okay, I believe because the word of God says it that I have spiritual gifts. But how do I know what my spiritual gift is? Do I take a little aptitude test? Do I do thus and so? Do I just kind of do what? No. Here's what you do. You begin to serve. Not surf. You begin to serve. How? Any which way. Any which way. You come in and you go like this. Okay, God, I believe you've given me spiritual gifts. I don't know what they are, but I want to use them. So show me how to serve. Show me something, God. Show me. Is there someone sick that I can pray for? Is there someone sitting all by themselves looking like they don't know anybody in the world like they need some encouragement? Is there some dirt in the church? Is there some stuff that needs to be done in this funky old warehouse? Are there some needs to be met? You see a need, you go and meet it. Not until you do that will you discover your spiritual gift. When you step out to meet a need, when you step out on shaky ground, unknown ground, uncomfortable ground, then you discover the power and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. As long as we come to church saying, it's all about me, you better make it about me, the sermon better be good for me, I better enjoy it, I better like it, hope the chair is soft enough, hope the music is loud enough, hope everything is just right, and nobody messes with me, and the coffee is good, and somebody says something nice to me, why doesn't somebody say hi to me? As long as you're like that, church is going to be misery. Because that's not how God designed it to be. We're to come in and say, all right, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? You see, if the church was biblical, people would be bumping into each other, trying to serve each other, smacking off each other's heads. Hey man, can I pray for you? No man, he already prayed for me, but let me pray for you. No, I'm gonna pray for you. No, let me pray for you. No man, hey, are you in need? Let me give to you. No man, I got a buck here. Let me give to you. Let me do this. You need that? Let me do that. Can I do this? Bam, 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 bam. And the church would be so biblical that they'd have to get outside these four ugly walls because there'd be so much work already accomplished in our midst. We'd say, what are we doing around here? A bunch of fat sheep. Let's get out there and reproduce. And the world would be radically impacted. But as long as we're me, 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 then the church will be lame, 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 lame. Each one has been given a special gift. Use it, therefore. So do you see a need in your midst? Step out to meet it. And you might find that God has gifted you in that area. 
But until you attempt something that is supernatural, you will never experience the supernatural power of God. As long as we're just doing stuff that easily, is easily human done, humanly done, then we're just going to be humans. Doing church. Doing religion. Most churches do that. But if we attempt stuff that is beyond the human realm, that is supernatural, if we have faith to lay hands upon the sick and heal for them, pray for them to be healed, if we have faith to see God move and meet the needs, if we've got the faith to get into somebody's messy life and just begin to care, God is going to supernaturally empower you from on high. Each has a special gift. Use it in the serving of one another as good stewards of God's grace in its various form. When I went into the emergency room last night with Isaiah, like I said, my son, we had to wait out there for three or three and a half hours. And then when we finally get in, they put you in a bed and you wait a little longer. But when the wait is finally done, you begin to see that there's a team of people that come and meet your needs. There's a doctor and there's a nurse. And then Isaiah needed an x-ray and so an x-ray technician came. And then they needed a test for influenza and so a person came that did that test. And there was another person that came alongside. And they worked as a team. And being a team, they met the needs of my son and they sent him home. And last night his fever broke and this morning he woke up and he's feeling great. And I just talked to my wife and he's feeling wonderful. But it was a teamwork. Don't you want to be a team? There's no I in team. There's only an I in sin. Don't we want to be involved in teamwork as opposed to involved in sin? Nothing more selfish than being about I. I is the letter that is in the middle of sin. Anytime you make I the focus, you are in sin. Anytime you make the others the focus, you're being like Jesus. Jesus shows up in the synagogue and he's willing and ready to meet the needs. Now here's what we're going to do. I had intended on uh, finishing this passage today and as you see, we've just talked about the first verse and there's time left. We could go on. But I'd like to camp out here. I'd like to stop. And I would like for us to begin to think about the needs that are confronting this church today and this community today. The needs that are in your family your extended family, your friends, your co-workers, your schoolmates. I want you to think about if it was, you know, uh, well, if you could have God do anything that you want Him to do right now, what would it be? And let's ask Him to do it. If you could ask God anything right now to meet any need in your family, in the world around you, what would it be? And let's ask Him to do it. And then I think we'll have a time of just asking God for the spiritual gifts. We're going to come forward in a few minutes. We're going to sing this song, I Surrender. And what we're going to do there is we're going to surrender our wills, our agendas, our meanness before God. And we're going to say, okay, Lord, I surrender and I invite you to take sovereignty in my life. I want to be used by you. I want to be a part of your team. When we show up here in the synagogue, so to speak, in the church, I want to see the needs met and I want to be a part of it. And so we're going to enter a time of prayer and I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to come and begin to speak to us. 
And uh, I'm going to ask the prayer team to come up and be forward in just a minute as I begin to pray. And anyone else that might desire to pray for people to receive the spiritual gifts. Then here's what I'll ask you guys to do. If you need to, you can go to Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and you can look at those list of gifts. And you just say, you know what? I want that one. And then you come forward and we'll lay hands on you and pray for you that you might receive that gift or whatever gift God has for you. In the New Testament, we see that the gifts were imparted by the laying on of hands in one way. And so we'll do that. And we'll just say this to God. God, we want our Christianity to be a little more biblical, a little more radical, a little more life-threatening, a little more on the edge, a little more real, a little more supernatural, a little bit more about others and your glory and meeting the needs of your people as opposed to us and our comfort zone. Is anybody with me on that? If you're with me on that, then let's just enter a time of prayer. Prayers come forward as I begin to pray. And then the rest of you can get prayed for. Father, we're just stopped in this part where it says that you entered into the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand. You knew that man would be there. You knew you wanted to meet that need. Father, we believe that you are here and that you are desiring to meet needs. And we would confess before you this morning possibly a little bit of self-absorption. And now we just want to wait upon you to come and have your way. We relinquish this church to you, Lord. We bow down and we throw our crowns at the feet of Jesus and we say, it's not our church, it's yours. We are not our own. You made us and then you redeemed us. We have been bought with a price. And you have saved us that we might be obedient to you. That we might follow you wholeheartedly. And so this morning now we want to surrender. Whatever that means for the individuals, God, only you know. But for those of us that need to, we surrender unto you. And I believe that you want to impart spiritual gifts this morning, God. I believe that there's gifts in here that are just shelved. Maybe they've been shelved for years or decades and you want to stir them up. You want people to begin to use them. I believe that today, God, you want to raise up pastors in our midst, prophets in our midst. You want to raise up missionaries and evangelists. You want to give people words of knowledge and words of wisdom. There's people that you want to heal. There's mercy that you want to extend. There are people today, God, that I believe you want to call to be your hands of kindness, your hands of mercy. There are needs here. And so I know that it is your intention to meet them through your people. And so Holy Spirit, now come. Minister to your people. Have your way. Stir us up, Lord. As we sing this song, I want to invite you to respond how you need to respond. If you need to get out of your seat and get in the aisles or come forward and kneel before the Lord and surrender with all that is within you, do so. If you want to pray for those around you, if there's someone here that you want to just encourage or share, go, go grab them. You're free to move around the sanctuary and worship and in ministry. 
not in distraction. And those of you that want to be used by the Lord, one of the spiritual gifts imparted to you or stirred up or whatever, come forward. Have a prayer team member put their hands upon you and simply ask God to answer your prayer. And if there's needs of any sort, the prayer team is here and there are those around you. Holy Spirit, come and minister to your people. You are the one that we need. Come now, Lord.